Welcome to the Research Reimagine podcast, brought to you by Nottingham Trent University. I'm your host, Helen Darby-Dowman, and I'll be inviting some of NTU's brightest minds to explore how their research is helping us to deepen our understanding of the world. From online addictions to transgender rights and sleep disorders, listen as we discuss some of society's most pressing challenges and uncover some of the ways our research is making a difference. Anti-Bullying Week will be taking place across the UK from the 13th to the 17th of November. Organised by the UK Anti-Bullying Alliance, hundreds of events, workshops and resources will be made available to the public to help people recognise and respond to bullying, whatever the situation. Today I'm joined by Lucy Betts and Una Steer from NTU's School of Social Sciences, who have been supporting the Anti-Bullying Alliance to produce a series of free resources to help teachers bring Anti-Bullying Week to life in their school or college. Lucy and Una's work focuses on the distinction between banter and bullying, a topic that has been debated for decades, particularly within schools, colleges and universities. How should we respond when someone makes a joke about someone's identity or makes an offensive comment? What should we say when they claim the joke is just banter? Today we're going to talk about some of the research that's been done in this area and hear from our experts on things teachers can do to help students take a stand against bullying. But before we get started, we're going to hear from Martha Evans, Director of the Anti-Bullying Alliance, who joined me for a call earlier this week to provide us with some insight on what they do and what Anti-Bullying Week is all about. So the Anti-Bullying Alliance was set up in 2002 and the aim of it is to bring together the anti-bullying sector to unite against bullying and to ensure that children live, play, grow and learn free from bullying. In the main areas of work that we do, we we cover policy improvement. So we work with government on improving the policy that relates to anti-bullying work. Um, We do practice improvement. So we deliver a significant amount of training to about um, 30,000 practitioners that work with children and young people over the course of the year. Um, Lots of them do our free online CPD training courses, um, look at our resources and we deliver lots of face-to-face training as well. Um, And the third area of our work um, is our campaigning and so our biggest campaign is Anti-Bullying Week and within that Odd Socks Day, Anti-Bullying Week reaches 80% of schools in the country, over 8 million children and we're based across England, Wales and Northern Ireland. We were set up in 2002 by the National Children's Bureau and um, the and the NSPCC, um, and that was really in a call to try and unite the anti-bullying sector to ensure that children live, play, grow, and learn free from bullying. So Anti-Bullying Week is a chance really to raise awareness of bullying and to have critical conversations about how we can stop bullying of children and young people. And so teachers are really fundamental to that. Um, for, we've got lots of different ways that teachers can get involved in Anti-Bullying Week, uh, including our free school packs. So we've got a primary school and a secondary school pack. And this year, the theme for Anti-Bullying Week is make a noise about bullying. And we really want to encourage children and adults to not stay silent when we see bullying happening and also to to start thinking about how do we know the difference between bullying and banter and so our resources our free resources that are available on our website are all based around those things and we've got lesson plans activity ideas assembly plans um, films lots of cross-curricular activity ideas um, the other way that schools can get involved and, and um, teachers can get involved in anti-bullying week is through odd socks day which happens on the first day of Anti-Bullying Week. And on Socks Day is a chance to kind of um, celebrate anti-bullying work and to celebrate what makes us all unique. So it's, um, we ask people to wear odd socks to school, college um, or university or at home or at work um, to celebrate what makes us all unique. 
Um, so it's a fun way of kind of starting anti-bullying week and anti-bullying activity can be quite a um, quite a negative subject. So we try and um, make sure that it's as celebratory as possible. So thanks, Martha, and welcome, Lucy and Una. Hi to you both. Hello. Hello. And before we go into talking a bit about the work that you've been doing with Anti-Bullying Alliance in supporting the resources that they've created, can you just tell us a little bit about yourselves? Lucy, do you want to start? Yeah, thank you. I'm Lucy Betts. I'm a professor of social developmental psychology in the psychology department at NTU. And as part of my role, I lead the Bullying and Aggressive Behaviour Research Group. And I also work with the Anti-Bullying Alliance as an advisory group member. Super, and Una, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm a lecturer here at NTU uh, in the psychology department and I teach on a range of um, courses uh, for undergraduate and, and master's level and I'm also part of the research group that, um, that Lucy leads as well. So I, I do some research with Lucy and also Lucy was my supervisor for my PhD that I did here at NTU as well. So uh, we, we've worked together quite a lot. Oh, thank you. Um, so obviously we've heard from Martha a bit about uh, Anti-Bullying Week and the work that the Anti-Bullying Alliance do. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, the resources that have been developed for Anti-Bullying Week this year and, and your input into them? Yeah, so we're really excited to have had the opportunity to work with the Anti-Bullying Alliance to help develop their school packs. Um, and we've used some of our research to inform some of the resources that have been put into those packs and as Martha was saying there's lots of information in there including lesson plans assembly plans and cross-curricular activity and we've used our research looking at banter and understandings of banter and bullying. Yeah so tell us a little bit more about that difference between bullying and banter and, and are there any key signs for people to look out for? Okay, so um, I think we all think we probably have an idea about what banter is. Uh, we, we see it all the time. We probably have it with our friends and our family uh, and, and young people as well also recognise what banter is. Uh, but we don't actually ever sit and think, well, what are we doing when we're, when we're interacting in that way? Uh, and so banter is, um, from a research perspective, perceived as uh, an interaction or bonding um, social platform for us to be able to communicate uh, and it can actually enhance our relationships. Um, and the outcome of it is, is that... Uh, we're obviously um, hopefully going to laugh and, and enjoy each other's company. Um, and But the premise of banter is, is that it's this uh, juxtaposition between something that's negative, uh, but also that's something that is pro-social, which in itself is actually uh, a quite an ambiguous thing to think. It's a paradoxical in terms of it being it's something that's negative or, or underpinned by aggression, uh, but is also a positive and pro-social interaction, which is where you can kind of see how banter might lead on to it being perceived as bullying if if the banter is actually perceived as it being a pro-social behaviour. So there are things that you, um, as somebody who is involved in that interaction can do whether you're the recipient or whether you're the person that's initiating that banter um, it's, it sounds very technical for something that's meant to be you know quite fun and, and uh, enjoyable you know to have between your friends but sometimes banter can be perceived um, and it in a negative way uh, and if it's uh, offensive or it's hurt somebody's feelings then really we need to be aware of, of what we're doing uh, that could you know mitigate that. Yeah, I imagine it's quite a hard thing to navigate because it's quite subjective for individuals. I mean, how do you go about the research 
into that? So we start off with uh, a qualitative research. That's what I did with my PhD. Uh, and we, we sat down, I sat down and had focus groups uh, with young people and, and asked their questions around um, what how they perceived banter um, and, and how they perceived that in the face-to-face environment, but also how they perceived it in the online environment, which is really where the focus was um, for me uh, in terms of my research was how is banter perceived in the online environment and what things are happening which can uh, you know make banter be perceived perhaps more uh, negatively or be misinterpreted more easily online uh, and there, there were loads of things uh, because the online environment is so different to how we interact when we're face to face we're obviously missing quite a lot of those um, social indicators that we would normally have in a face to face environment which can uh, possibly lead to more misinterpretation and then lead to people feeling um, uh, offended or, or hurt I mean, we all know that people can be unkind. That's part of the world and can be unkind to one another. Um, And we see it within children in schools, but also as adults in later life too. I mean, what is a teacher's role in managing and preventing bullying, uh, do you think? I think it's really important, as Una was saying, that teachers and everyone has this understanding that banter can be a really positive thing that helps build social relationships between children but there's, sometimes that can go too far. And it may be that the person who's saying those comments doesn't understand that they have overstepped the mark. So it could be helping young people understand where that line, and that line is very subjective, but that if they go too far, it can cause hurt or distress. And also think about who they're interacting with and where so is it with an audience or is it just with a close friendship group and is the other person okay with that it's a quite a difficult point for a teacher to kind of know when to perhaps intervene yeah absolutely I would say so because uh, there's a lot of context around banter that needs to be taken into account and so uh, if I could try and reel some off to make that a bit more understandable. So um, so banter generally is between friends. Um, friends understand the intention behind banter. They understand that there isn't any malice intent and that it is a benign interaction, which makes it in itself a, a humorous thing to, uh, to, to have between friends. But teachers might necessarily not know uh, who, who are in those friendship groups uh, and who maybe aren't who maybe have broken up that friendship group the day before. And so then banter might be used in in a malicious way. Um, So initially, teachers might not be uh, aware of that context of the friendship, but also banter um, can be perceived as more severe if there's um, a repetitive nature. And so obviously teachers aren't going to be aware of how how many times that... um, that, you know, that funny remark about a student's appearance perhaps... um, has happened previously uh, uh, and also I guess to the extent that audience um, it, audience does have an impact on severity of banter uh, and, and does have an impact on perceiving whether there is intent to cause harm um, but if you think about that in the online environment obviously teachers aren't aware of what's going on in the online environment and and uh, 
moving over to the banter side of research, you know, research would suggest that bullying in the day-to-day environment at school does then cross over into the online environment in the evening. So, I mean, there, there are more factors, but those are really the core factors that teachers won't be aware of. And, and trying to manage those things, I can imagine, would be very difficult. I think also as well, Una, um, it could be the children and young people engaging in that banter have a clear understanding of that topic being okay but perhaps to an outsider it may appear aggressive or an inappropriate topic but for that friendship group it's a joke that seems okay. Yeah it's a, it's a really difficult line I imagine for people to to look at from from outside and to decide when something changes like you say there's so many nuances in terms of friendship groups and and individual behaviours. I mean Interesting, let's turn it around today, teachers. I mean, we're all, like we said at the beginning, like we're all enjoy banter. I mean, it's part of life. Um, should teachers use it? Is there, is there a, you know, is there a place for it for them in the classroom or is that a risky position to be? If you think about banter in terms of it being somewhere between friends, uh, I don't think we'd encourage teachers to be um, trying to create that uh, mirage of having friendships with their students. But humour um, as an actual behaviour is um, can you know break the ice and, and make you feel and, and be perceived as being a more grounded individual. Um, so I think as a teacher, you know, you'd just probably be want to be aware of um, how approachable you are and whether humour is part of your personality. But it's it's a difficult one. It is a difficult one. You you wouldn't obviously want in my position as a lecturer. I wouldn't want my students to be, think that I'm their friend uh, just because for professional you know boundaries, being able to support students, you know, if you're being perceived as uh, having friends with students, then there'll be other students in that class who maybe will feel like there's some kind of power hierarchy. I mean, it, it would be difficult, and, and so I probably wouldn't advise teachers to have a degree of banter in the, just based on that friendship context. I think it's really complex, it as, is, Una's, yeah. as Una's saying. I think it would probably depend a lot on the age of the class as well and how long the teachers have been working with those young people um, and the context. So I think there's lots of things that teachers and all professionals really need to be mindful of. I mean, we, you've mentioned already, obviously, that you've done, there's a lot of banter that's obviously now online because of the nature of the way our society is. I mean, have you seen a change in banter in the way it's used online at all, like through social media or on social media? I wouldn't say I've seen a change um, in banter. I don't, um, I haven't observed the internet in that way in terms of how banter is used in the online environment. There are things that are happening uh, that we either do understand when we're aware of what's happening when we're behaving online, and then there are probably things that are happening that we're not aware of um, what's impacting us and how we're behaving online. For instance, uh, obviously the, the internet and how we use it is quite remote, um, and so that allows us to some extent um, to be able to change our behaviour and feel a little bit more confident in the online environment. Uh, bullying on in the online environment is slightly different because you'll see uh, younger people who maybe can't stand up for themselves in the physical world uh, can stand up for themselves uh, in, the, in the virtual world. And 
so that's one element of how the internet can change people and change their behavior online. Um, the remote nature, and but also the, the, the temporal nature, you know, we can say something at that moment in time and mean it, uh, but perhaps the day after we, we won't mean it as much uh, and due to like heat of the moment and things that we say. And once they're on the internet, they're there. They're there for anyone to see. Uh, if it is posted in an, in an audience space and it's a 24-7 kind of uh, interaction which isn't usual for us in the face-to-face -face environment and I think that's quite difficult for young people to try and get their heads around and to try and navigate around and the, you know thinking in terms of banter and using banter in the online space you know there might be a moment that where we think something is going to be funny and we don't take the time to think about that through properly and then we post it and before we know it somebody's you know offended and um uh, and you can realize actually how your behaviors um led to somebody feeling upset uh, and that can be for various reasons you know whether loads of people have seen it whether you know at that moment in time they didn't really need to be hearing that you know whether that comment about their appearance or that comment about uh, their weight which you know research has said this this banter can be um highly racist banter can be um highly um negative around people's identity um and so you know that split second thinking before we're posting i think it would be really helpful if we could encourage that a little bit more not just for banter but also for bullying you know i think a lot of the time uh, young people are saying things online and they don't perhaps mean it there's no intent to cause harm um, and if they could t take that extra 10 seconds to think about whether or not somebody would or if, if somebody did that to them how would they feel about that then maybe you know um, it would lead to not people feeling like they're being targeted instead of um, a, a bad joke that's gone wrong you know I mean, it's so immediate, isn't it? I suppose things online. And as you said, you have no social cues. Like I know there's been an example of between children I know of like boys bantering about football teams and then suddenly it's one message too many and it's like, well, why are they offending me? You know, so, you know, that kind of lack of instant um, reference from facial cues and so forth. So just tell us a little bit more. Can we explore a bit more about that difference between, you know, the, the, the traditional or the old school face-to-face -face banter and that that we see online. One of the first things to think about is sort of the size of the audience. Um, in the face-to-face -face setting, it could just be between a friendship group um, or two individuals. But online, there is the potential that that audience could involve different people from different spheres of someone's social world. So it could have friends, there could be family and also there could be kind of professional context. So that audience is very, very different potentially to the face-to-face -face world. Um, I think Azuna was talking about the face-to-face -face world. There are more cues that you can kind of pick up on and it might be easier to have that sort of more interactional style, but Beyond that, I don't think there's actually that much difference. I don't know. No, but I think, you know, using emojis can be helpful. But then, you know, 
I mean, you, emojis are there for that reason. They were they were invented for that reason, you know, to help people interpret what people are saying in terms of people's emotions. But you know, from the research that I've looked at, sometimes emojis can be used in in a sarcastic and a flippant and an ironic way, which then in, in themselves then become quite ambiguous. And that's the problem. It's the ambiguity of perceiving something like banter or teasing that is actually based in uh, underpinned by negative. Uh, and aggression that's why it makes it funny uh, well, unfortunately and that's why it's so difficult online to not be able to um, to interpret something you know if I was to say something now and I smiled afterwards um, at you uh, you would clearly be able to perceive that I didn't intend to hurt your feelings um, and you would know that but online you, you don't see that and we forget that we're not able to interpret things that easily without um without those indicators and the context as well of what's going on yeah I mean just taking emojis for example people use emojis for different different reasons don't they as in I know myself or my children they were one minute you think they're using it for one or we think we're all using it for the same purpose but actually there's a, a real contrast between what we use it for and what about gifts is there anything around that as well <laughs> I mean I haven't really read a lot of research about gifts and memes uh, but again I think I mean I've definitely received gifts and I've you know, most of the time I can interpret them, but sometimes I'm a bit like, I don't know if I really get that. And I think that, like the point, I don't, I don't feel like they've offended me, but I have thought second, it's second guess, you know, I've second guessed why that's been sent to me uh, in maybe a group uh, WhatsApp group. And I've thought, oh, I don't know. Or I've been very wary about using them in the group, uh, especially in the group format. Um, it, it's, it is interesting. Yeah, it would be good to do some research in that area take it back to say teachers we were talking earlier about you know that kind of when do they get involved I mean do you have any advice for sort of what they could do within the school environment to create a positive culture around sort of banter and bullying I think have those conversations about where banter can be positive and how it can be helpful for relationships but then also encourage children and young people to think about what might cause a behavior that they thought was banter to be interpreted slightly differently and get them to think about what behaviours may overstep the line um, and also get them to think about how they could intervene or how they could say to somebody I'm not happy with that comment and really encourage that discussion around trying to understand where the line of acceptability is. I mean, that line of acceptability must be just such a challenging place for everyone, purely because we're all individuals. I mean, um, how do we how do we really explore that in terms of it must be is a position of worry, I suppose, in terms of am I going to say the right thing? Am I not? Do you think in terms of a young person's space that they should be worrying so much about it? I don't think they should be worrying about it per se. I think they should be having conversations around that's not okay or that is okay. Um, and really thinking about how um, others are responding to it. And as Zuna was saying, take a moment just to think, mm, before I post something, before I say something, is this okay? But not really with that kind of worry behind it, just a, I'm not sure best way of describing it but just that kind of insightful little bit of reflection um, about how it may land with another person 
taking away that immediacy of just like I can respond. I think also what we don't realise is is that like you said, it's very it's a very individual thing. Um, humour in itself is a very individual thing. The way we develop humour when we're a younger person, um, you, you saw it. Research has said really around the age of ten, eleven, uh, boys and, and and girls start to use humour in a, in a very different way. Um, and humour can be used as a coping mechanism, which is fantastic, and can be used to really foster those relationships. But generally, males start to then use aggressive humour, like banter, um, uh, as a way to foster those relationships. And the, the, aggression, the aggressiveness becomes so normalised, really, for males, uh, their perception of whether something is severe or not becomes a little bit blurred in terms of then maybe having banter with females. Uh, because from their point of view, really, any degree of aggression... Um, it can be acceptable whereas from a female's perspective banter isn't used in that way really uh, humor is used in a way um, for them you know to uh, be be more close with friends uh, but not in, a, in, a, in an aggressive way you know so it's this uh, idea of uh, boys and girls and how they are using humour together and within their friendship groups as well. Yeah, because I guess within a school environment, A, we have lots of different types of schools. So you have boys schools, girls schools, mixed schools. And then within that, you'll have groups of boys, groups of girls. I mean, I guess it goes back to as well, those the teacher interaction, if they want to, or if they can get involved and support young people when it becomes problematic, is the biggest takeaway I'm getting from it is that they need to stop and just take a moment, get the young people to actually think about what they're they're saying and observe the wider landscape. Is that kind of? I think so. I think so as well. Um, the, the main reason why young people don't feel like they can tell their friends uh, that they felt offended by banter is because they have this fear that they're going to uh, be excluded from their, their friendship group, um, which in my mind suggests that there's something going on in their friendship groups that makes them feel like they can't um, express that. Uh, and in my mind, that might not be um, a friendship group that is, you know, positively socialising with, you know, each member. Um, if we can't tell our friends that we're offended by something that they've said, um, you know, we need to be understanding why that might might be the case. Because we do want to be able to say that to our friends so that they then know where those boundaries are and where their personal line is. Um, because, it's, it, as you said, it's quite difficult to know where people's individual lines are and how much they perceive something as being severe or not. Um, and we all have our different lines of acceptability, um, whether we're female or not, you know, whether what depending on uh, it doesn't matter what gender you are, we all have our individual lines. And so we need to be able to appreciate that and to know that we can tell people that what you did was, a, you know, a bit too far for me. That was a bit too much. And then we need to be able to say, OK, I'm sorry. And that apology can mean um, a lot, you know. So those like open conversations that are safe, I think that's probably um, a good way for schools to approach how they're interacting with their students to encourage them to have these uh, pro-social banter experiences. It's a huge subject, obviously, you know, just through our conversation so far. I mean, how did you actually get involved in this area of research? So for me, I was doing a project um, a number of years ago looking at young people's experiences of cyberbullying and their understanding of cyberbullying. And one of the things that came out from that research and really struck me was how they were talking about 
using the term banter to label behaviour which they actually recognise was bullying behaviours. So I found that a really interesting kind of insight from them and wanted to know more about that and then worked with other colleagues in psychology, so Sarah Buglis and Lauren Abel and also Una around exploring banter. So Una, do you want to talk about yours? Um, yeah, so um, yeah, so I started my PhD on banter and, and I didn't know a great deal about what research said about banter uh, or, or teasing uh, behaviours. Uh, but I was also quite interested in this because I think we can all kind of appreciate how um, banter could maybe lead to a degree of um, you know, perceiving it as being a negative or offensive behaviour. But from a young person's perspective, obviously, I, I didn't really know what that looked like. So uh, talking to young people, trying to get their um, their awareness of what they thought banter was and then in the online environment as well. Uh, and obviously the online environment just is continually evolving. There's new apps all the time. So and I didn't have a phone when I was a young person. So it's like, you know, trying to, trying to get their perception um, and, and what was really interesting about the research that I did with young people is that they actually are very highly aware of their behavior online. They're aware that things might be perceived differently. Um, and, and, and so although things are misinterpreted and things are more open to being misinterpreted in the online environment, they are aware of um, how things, uh, people might behave differently online and how the remote nature may have an impact and how, um, you know, not being able to see facial expressions, you know, that was made very clear by the young people. And we're talking, you know, young children around 11 years old, you know, that's, you know, they are very, um, you know, we, we call them digital natives, but in terms of perceiving online behavior, uh, they, I would say they are aware. And what's more interesting, I think, is that uh, they're, they're so aware that actually, um, banter can be euphemistically labelled as being something that's positive when actually the intention behind it wasn't a very, um, you know, a benign intent. There, were, there was malicious, malicious intent, but because humour is so ambiguous, because banter can be quite ambiguous, um, it can be used as, as some kind of uh, way to offend people in an in a underhand kind of way uh, or euphemistically labelling something um, as positive when actually it is a negative behaviour. And, and young people are aware of that as well as we are as adults. So I think, uh, you know... Th we shouldn't underestimate young people. I think that's that's what I realised uh, the moment I started talking to them is that they are aware. I think we just need to give them that little bit more support uh, with maybe uh, their social interactions with something that is so uh, complex. Is there a slight kind of problem with the support because obviously, as you said yourself, you didn't grow up with a phone. We didn't grow up with it. Is there, Has there been a bit of a barrier with that because actually their elders perhaps don't understand it in the same way? I think it goes back to what you were saying around how you use emojis and how different people use them in different ways. So I think trying to get a shared understanding of kind of interactions and also an understanding of humour and the jokes that everybody is using so have there been any surprises for yourselves anything that's really stuck out that you weren't expecting to find I think from reading the research I didn't quite realize 
Uh, being a female, uh, although I have uh, worked in a lot in a, in a very uh, masculine environment before and I've seen what aggressive humour looks like and how it can be normalised, I think I just didn't realise uh, that younger people were having those um, kind of experiences as well and that ag aggressive humour, especially for males, was used to that extent, um, uh, which, you know, obviously I wouldn't condone any kind of aggressive humour towards anybody, but in the context of banter, um, you know, it, it can be very, it can be quite aggressive. And depending on how, who's who's perceiving that and who's witnessing that, uh, really, I think, um, I think anybody would surpri be surprised, you know. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. And also thanks to Martha. Thank you. Thank you. If you'd like to find out more about Anti-Bullying Week and our research in this area, or to download the Anti-Bullying Alliance resources, please head to the episode description. Here you'll be able to find information on support services available. You've been listening to the Research Reimagined podcast by Nottingham Trent University. For all of the latest news from the research community at NTU, follow us on Twitter at NTU underscore research or sign up to our research newsletter by visiting ntu.ac.uk forward slash research. Thanks for listening.